A lot of you are familiar with the DNA Project and have been rocking with us for a while, but some of you aren't. A lot of you are faithful listeners of the podcast, but aren't familiar with some of the other work that we do. So I just want to take a quick moment to explain to you a little bit more of what we do. So you're getting married, or you have a friend, a cousin, a sister, somebody you know is getting married. Okay. You've booked your venue, caterers, photographer, all that good stuff. When it comes to live music, most people have no idea where to look. We have you covered. Picture this. During the ceremony, while guests are being seated, or while the bride's walking down the aisle. During the cocktail hour, while guests are just mingling and having a good time. Don't forget about dinner music. That's very important to set the mood while guests eat. And we definitely can't forget the party. Let's get the party started right now with The DNA Project. www.thednaproject.ca for more information. Hello, bonjour, and wagwan, everyone. Thank you for listening to the DNA Airwaves podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by the MPL, Toronto's modular film and audio studio. Please visit the-mpl, that's maple without the vowels, .com to learn more. We're also brought to you by The DNA Project, your entertainment agency. Want to learn more about this great company and what they do? Then please visit thednaproject.ca for more details. For today's episode, we talk with author and composer David Ditchfield. In 2006, David had a horrific near-death experience, and as a result of that experience, he kind of re-emerged, so to speak, with these new artistic abilities that he had never tapped into before. Anthony, our wonderful co-host, had first heard about his story and reached out to Dave to see if he would share his experience with our audience, and he agreed. So we connected with David over the internet during the COVID-19 pandemic from his house in the UK to talk about his life-changing accident his new undiscovered talents post-accident, and of course, his new book, Shine On, available now on Amazon. It was a very interesting conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it. This is the DNA Airwaves. We are live. David Ditchfield, thanks so much for being with us today. Um, Pleasure. You have a a fascinating story. I actually can't wait for you guys to hear what's in store in this conversation. yeah, your story's incredible. We're going to give you the floor to just talk us through the events that took place in your life um, leading up to and afterwards, because there's just so much that we uh, we just can't wait for people to hear. And actually, our producer, Matt, has not heard your story at all, so it'll be interesting to hear his reactions on that. Talk about your book, Shine On. I want to give you a plug right off the bat. And um, yeah, we'll just let you uh, get into it and just let us know. Anything you want to share with us, please. Cool. All right. Uh, well, thanks for having me along to chat about this. Uh, and uh, I, I, I guess I should start. Really, um, I had an accident. Uh, I was. It was a pretty. It was a freak accident, to say the least. I was seeing a friend off at a rail station uh, in Cambridge in the UK, and I helped her onto the train with her bags, you know, and uh, I gave her a, a kiss and a hug to say goodbye. And we heard the emergency buzzers going. And so as they started to go, I stepped back to get off. And uh, my coat got trapped in the automatic closing doors. They just slammed two. And it was quite a thick quality coat. And there was no way I was going to pull it free. So um, I looked around for a guard on the platform and there wasn't one. So I just really yelled at the top of my voice for help, you know. And uh, But nobody turned up. Um, at that point, so, um, so I was banging on the side of the windows, hoping that somebody would run through the, you know, the actual train itself, and and yeah. stop everything that was happening. But that wasn't to be. So uh, the engine wow. just started to rev up, you know, and it was just kind of like 
it was getting pretty scary. Just that, just that sound was really kind of like the adrenaline was like, oh man, you know, this is not good. And sure. I remember, sorry, yeah, and sure, I looked, I yeah, cool. <laughs> and um, so I, I looked into um, my friend Anna, who I was seeing. Of, I just saw her face, and just the look of you know sheer terror and fear in her eyes was just. It, that, that just stopped me in a yell, and I thought, wow, this is it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to die. I'm not going to survive this. Mm-hmm. So the train started pulling out the station, and uh, uh, it went at a tremendous speed. Uh, you really don't realize how fast trains accelerate out of, a, out of a rail station. You know, when you're on inside, you, you're on your cell phones, and you're just kind of texting people. You don't think about it, but when it's... Mm-hmm. On the outside, it's a different story, and it really went fast. And I lost my footing, and I got dragged along the platform wow. edge, and then I got pulled between the space of the platform and the speeding train, and, and under the wheels, under I went. So that moment was just kind of like it was like time kind of stretched. I remember seeing like the sides of the carriage doors almost disappearing into the sky as I fell down into this kind of you know darkened pit, if you like, and I was just tossed around relentlessly like a rag doll. I was just like thrown from pillar to post. Um, it was very painful, very aggressive uh, experience. And I was you know, fully conscious throughout the whole thing. Um, and uh, then I just suddenly got thrown to the ground after all this franticness. As the train continued to go on at great speed, it was a very long train. And I was lying in between the tracks as the train continued on. So I just kept my face down into the gravel. And, um, and hope for hope for the best because I knew that it wasn't over over yet. I thought part of the undercarriage could just come and whack me over the back of the head, and that would be it. So I kept my face down. Right. Eventually, it moved on, and it moved on down to the track and disappeared off into the into the horizon, as it were. And there I was, just staring up at this beautiful blue sky, totally amazed that I was alive and I'd survived that. Yeah. So you ended up under the train. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was underneath it, yeah. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's the worst possible scenario, really, to, to that I thought I could ever go through. And I think the worst part wow. about it was that, um, unlike say a head-on collision in a car, I'm not underestimating how awful awful that is. But right. for me, I could see the whole thing unfolding. Do you know what I mean? Even though it only took a matter of seconds for me to get pulled and then pulled under. It felt like minutes. Yeah. It's like time itself seemed to just kind of stretch out into this huge cinematic right. sort of film. And uh, so, yeah, so yes. it was it, the anticipation of it all was just like kind of like really strange. I, I actually went into kind of, you know, you have this kind of fight or flight mode and I went into fight mode and I thought I'm not, I'm not going to let this thing beat me. You know, the train suddenly became like this huge mechanical beast and I thought right. it's me well, yeah. skin and bones against this thing, you know, and uh, so there you go. But I, I survived. Wow. Yeah. You, men- you mentioned in the book that uh, during those 13 seconds from being caught in the train door, being dragged and eventually pulled underneath the train, that it was as, as if you're as if you could feel your mind working in two parts, like one in real time, and then I think you mentioned like another part of your mind slowed down or time slowed down completely for you. That's that, that's you exactly right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you kind of explain that sensation? I can do. Yeah. It, it was. It wasn't like things had gone into slow motion. It's just that I'd suddenly got time to think everything through. I was suddenly aware of of everything around me, my whole environment. It's like somebody just fitted a a, a huge 35 millimeter camera to me and I could see everywhere and experience everywhere and think about it. And uh, 
I've explained this to people before that I kind of went into almost like a sort of like um, when you see the 007 movies and, and Indiana Jones, you know, where they have time to think it through. And, and it yeah. was like that. It was surreal, but I did. I remember thinking about I'd, I'd seen this news item where a small child had been thrown from a burning apartment block from the third floor and had survived without any injuries. And they, they put that down to the fact that small infants don't tense up like we do as adults. So I just decided to relax. That was one of the wow. first things I thought, right, relax, you know. And, and I did. When I got pulled under, you know, I remember just, just relaxing my whole body. And, um, yeah, so the, the, I saw an interview with this guy called uh, David Eagleman, who's, who's a U.S. neurologist. Uh, I think that's the right word, but a, a brain scientist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not trying to be too <laughs> right, clever, yeah. you know. <laughs> and uh, he said that uh, this happens a lot with people who are, who are facing death. It, it happens with these guys who climb these uh, huge mountains, you know, without any ropes, and then they're just about to fall or something like that. That same thing happens where time, he, he described it as as we go through life seeing th- th- uh, everything through a video lens to sun- suddenly having this beautiful panoramic view, and time sort of just slows down and, and you get time to think it through. And it is like a survival mode, basically. So, yeah. So it's interesting. Wow. My, my mind was quite rational, but at the same time filled with absolute terror. So it's a really odd contrast, but I'm glad that I had that sense of uh, sort of um, thought, you know. And when you, um, after the train stopped and you kind of were lying still, were you conscious from that moment on into going to the hospital? You remember the entire process? Yeah, totally. I was very alert actually throughout the whole process, so I never lost consciousness. Uh, and um, yeah, you know, I remember when I laid on the track, you know, I just checked to see my wounds, you know, and and uh, this thick coat that I was wearing—it was like a sheepskin coat—was totally shredded, especially the left wow. arm. And and I noticed that my left arm had been cut right open. I could see all the workings within inside. And again, Jesus. that was really odd. I didn't go into shock. I just kind of like thought. I remember looking and thinking, wow, that's the inside of my arm. That's me. That's how it all works. I could see every single nerve ending and, and, and muscle. It yeah. was just, you know, it was remarkable. But um, the, the emergency guys arrived really quick. Uh, they were there like within minutes and they, they jumped down on the track and they somehow okay. managed to cut through my clothing and get me on a stretcher, you know, yeah. and off yeah. the track, which is a, it's a huge drop obviously as you all know you stand on the train platform edge and you look down it's a long way down but they got me up and uh, they they raced me down down the highway uh, to hospital which was like a sort of like a, a, a half hour sort of drive and the siren was just going wild and I, we were just going like a rocket you know but the yeah. doctor said can you hang on in there and I said yeah, yeah I'll hang on you know he was good he kept me going he kept me you know these guys are amazing as, as we all know and uh, mm-hmm. but he really kept me calm and um, we arrived in the hospital, and there was a, there was a whole team waiting for me. As we went, we, they wheeled me into the emergency department, and there was like surgeons and doctors uh, all waiting there. You know, and I could hear all this mad science going above, all these figures going like, hey, "He needs an E forty five, no, need, no, seven forty six." And I was going, "Well, what's one of those?" You know, and so I was started to get a bit scared because. I thought I'm losing a lot of blood here. My arm, my right. left arm had been severed, severed from the elbow down, and um, and they sounded scared. So mm-hmm. I thought it's not all over yet, is it? So, and my family arrived pretty quick. Actually, they were in the hospital, you know, and they get, they seemed to get there really quick. And so the the consultant who was in charge of the whole thing said, "Look, 
your family are here. Can you see any of them? And, or would you like to? And I said, yeah, send them all through, you know. So <laughs> they all came in and uh, my mum was in tears, you know. She was just like sobbing away there and uh, I just, you know. And um, uh, my friend Anna was there as well, who, who I'd seen off. The one so you that kissed was great. the train, so right, yeah. That's right, yeah, because I was really concerned about her. And not only that, we 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 gained a, a kind of bond. When you've been through something as huge as that, that person is yeah. the main focus that you're you're concerned about. And I said, I need to speak to Anna, you know. So she sure. came over and she was just stood there going like this. Her head was just going, I can't believe you're alive, you know. They told me you were dead. They said you were dead, you know. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, wow. But, um, yeah. <laughs> so, um it was it was at that point that um, I left I left all that franticness I left all the pain that was just completely overwhelming me, and I suddenly went to a, a darkened space. I'd left my body, I'd left everything, and and I was in what seemed like a darkened room, um, but it was really comforting. It was beautiful, and uh, and I just lay there and uh, and I just thought, where am I? And I just kind of looked around me and and realized that I was no longer on a on the hospital sort of trolley I was right. now on lay on a big sort of it was like a huge rock it was like a like a medieval altar um if you like and um and it felt actually really comfortable to to lay on which is strange you wouldn't think so normally but everything was different in this realm you know it was mm-hmm. kind of the same but it was a different entity but I went with it I thought this is really good you know so I just laid my head back and I realized there was all these pulsating colors that were just slowly pulsating all around me and, and keeping me calm. They felt mm. like they were kind of like just kind of saying, it's okay, just calm down. Because I figured that I was dead. I thought, this is it. I thought I didn't make it. And uh, and I passed on. Um, I didn't resist it. You know, I didn't try and fight it. I didn't say, look, to myself, I don't want to be here. I want to go back. I, I didn't want to die. Uh, don't get me wrong. But um, I was what I'd just been through was sheer hell and it was just great to be in this beautiful calm. So I just laid my head back and as I laid my head back, I saw these beautiful three grids of white light slowly closing in on me and uh, in those grids of white light, there was this pure essence of, uh, of of light and it was just, it was like a healing energy that was coming from it and I just couldn't take my gaze away. I just kept looking into this light and it was just so intense um, and I, as I lay there, bathed in this kind of like essence of uh, calm, I suddenly felt the presence of um, somebody near to me. I thought there was somebody had arrived in in this darkened room. So I lifted my head, and there was there was a person just stood at my feet, staring at me. Um, this beautiful sort of androgynous, neither male nor female being, just looking at me and. With, with an expression on his or her face that I felt that I I knew really well. I thought, I know you, don't I? And I was actually saying it out loud. I was going, who are you? I know I know who you are. And he or she just kept smiling back at me, and I just thought, well, you know. Um, Did you recognize the face eventually or no? And I, no, it, I, it's still a face that, that is – when I, every time I talk about it, I can see it now, and I and I feel that I still know it, but I've never discovered exactly who it is. You know, it's. Wow. You ever had a sketch artist or somebody try to draw it up for you? Yeah, well, I've done that myself. Yeah, I started painting um, 
uh, after I'd had my near-death experience, it was one of the first things that I, I wanted to do um, because I was really scared that what had happened to me that I was going to forget. And I thought, I've got to tell everybody about this. And I thought right. the best way to do it, to record it, is to actually paint it. So, yeah. So, um, yes. yeah. So I so, painted it as close as so, I could get. Go on, sorry. Do you have it there? Yeah, I've got it. Um, I can't show it you know right now but um i can yeah we oh, you, yeah we, I, yeah, 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 we, some, we do have some, some of your artwork to, yeah. but yeah right. most yeah we have some of your artwork so we'll definitely share that with our listeners brilliant and, that's fantastic yeah you got this and matt as well for sure um i have a question i have a lot of questions actually Please, but yeah once you you found yourself i don't know if i can describe it as a new world but you're surrounded by and being taken care of by this what you described as a sense of like infinite love but you still had active thoughts and questions about your situation, like you were still aware of yourself as a being, right? That's right. Um, yeah. Just how did how did you reason with yourself, or or even justify what had what was taking place in those moments? Well, the interesting thing is is that I didn't really have to. Um, it was me that was there. It was totally me, and I was aware that it was me. I mean, I remember looking down at my body to check my wounds and everything was fixed. You know, my arm was back in place. I wasn't even a single scratch or bruise. Um, but it was definitely my body. It was definitely me. Nothing had changed. And, uh, but I, I'd lost all sense of, uh, concern about the past. Uh, I used to worry about the past and I was, I wasn't worried about the future. I was just in the moment. I was just in the here and now. And, there was no sense of anxiety or fear or worry or any of those feelings or thoughts that that we all carry around. It's almost like thought had just gone away from me and it was just the pure essence of me that was there. So I was just happy to be there and just to see what was what was evolving all around me because it just felt so real and I just felt the best I'd ever felt throughout my whole life. My life before this was a struggle, <clears> you know, uh, like like a lot of us, you know, I, yeah. I, you know, I had my damn periods, you know, I I was I'd, I'd left school without qualifications, so I was struggling to find work throughout my whole life, and I was always trying to fit in with the kind of crowds that weren't right for me, and so it's, I felt like there was a lot of doors closing in my face, and I, mm -hmm. so I carried a lot of shame and a lot of feelings of of lack of confidence, and I could and like I couldn't achieve in anywhere in the world, but suddenly. All that had gone. Suddenly, it was just me feeling great about myself. So, so I didn't kind of need to question it, if you like. Did you? Were you aware of the transition from that kind of experience to back to where you're in the hospital bed with your family? Yeah. How did that go? Yeah. Well, that came later on. I mean, there were there were different phases of 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 the the experience that I was in that I kept moving on from one one phase to another. Right. Um, and uh, but when I did come back. It was, uh, yeah, it was kind of like there was, there was no sort of, I was back in my body really quick, you know. It was just like the, the transition was just as quick as I'd gone there. Um, and it wasn't a decision that I'd made myself personally, but it was made for me. Mm. Though I didn't regret it, you know. I, I mean, obviously when I came back, the, um, the overkill of sound and light, like the, all, all of a sudden the, from that beautiful bright light, I was looking at before. Now it was fluorescent strip, which looked really horrible, and and then the noise was just overkill, and I just the pain came rushing straight through my body again. But do you know what? I was just filled with all this incredible 
joy and love from what I'd received in the other side um, that I was just so charged with it. And I thought, wow, that was amazing. I can't wait to find out why they sent me back and what is my quest. So straight away, I thought they've sent me back for a reason. Wow. Wow. Um, So I have a, just was wondering, are you, were you religious prior to this event and how did this change your view on spirituality and religion after this event? Yeah, um, I wasn't actually. No, um, I wasn't an atheist because um, my both my parents are Christian and uh, they took us to church as a family when we were younger. And right. I actually rejected the, the actual notion of going to church. I didn't feel comfortable with it, you know. So my parents mm-hmm. were pretty liberal and they said, it's okay, you can stay at home. So I kind of like, you know, didn't really take any any faith in, in onwards in my own life, as it were. Uh, so yeah. I didn't really think about death or, or God or anything like that. But um, that all changed, yeah, big time. I mean, when I was I, – part of what happened in this experience was that I actually saw uh, what I believed to be God. Um, mm. I was faced with what a lot of people talk about when they have uh, NDEs, uh, near-death experiences. They see a tunnel of white light. And I saw that tunnel of white light. That came a bit further on into the experience itself. And when I saw it, I just thought, wow. The, again, it was this, this beautiful white healing light that was giving out unconditional love. But the energy was just like turned up. It's like somebody had just turned the dial up big time. And, and there was like flames all surrounding this white light, you know, and, and the energy of love was just, I felt like every molecule in my body was vibrating with it. And I just thought, and it's like I knew straight away that what I was looking at here was the source of all creation. So it was a big moment for me because I thought this is, there is a God and this is it. It's not some guy in the sky, you know, or whatever our, our faith may be. And most most uh, religions of faith that, you know, that, that God is or whatever is is in some kind of human form, if you like. So it right. wasn't for me. This was it. This is what I was staring at. So that stayed with me. So, yeah, so my spirituality is very much a part of my life now. Wow. So you you come back from that realm, we'll say, and all of a sudden you are immediately aware of sound and the bright lights um, and the pain. How, what were your thoughts at that point? Were you, were there people around you? Were you, were you able to speak or communicate at all? Like what was happening then? Yeah. Um, well, I remember my friend Anna, who the, the girl I was seeing off on the train, she stepped forward at that point and, and, uh, and they were just about to take me straight into surgery uh, to start operating. And I said, Anna, mm-hmm. something really important has just happened. I've got to tell you about it. And she was going, no, not now, you know, tell me later. And I said, no, this is so important. I was just like, I've got to tell you now, you know. She said, yeah. oh, we'll wait. <laughs> but when I, we'll see you later, you know. I said, okay, you know. She kind of put her hand over my mouth. <laughs> That's enough, you know. So, um, so, yeah. so I was really, that was it. I was, I was whirled into theatre. So it was kind of odd because I'd gone from having everybody around me when I first came back to being going straight under anesthetic then. And then when I came round, it was eight hours later. And I was in a, a, they'd given me a room of my own in the hospital. So it was just me basically on my own for the first, you know, eight hours. So I was really kind of, I'd got a lot to sort of ponder over and think it through, you know. And um, I was actually really dying to see my family. I really wanted to see my mother especially. It was really odd. I remember just thinking, I want to see my mum. I want to tell them what's happened, you know. So, uh, so yes, I couldn't wait to see them. Did you? Did you ever question, like, whether it was real or were you 100% certain? 
Hundred percent certain, yeah, yeah. I've never doubted it, yeah, because it was just it's it's not like a it's not like a dream state, and it's not like um you know an hallucination. It's 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 like I describe it as being ultra real. It's 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 like it's another dimension. So it's not quite the same as we are all sat here now chatting, but in this world. But it's just it is. You, you know, I didn't just see it; I felt it. You know, the the you know, so the, there was an awful lot there. But not only that, since then, I've come across other people who've had NDEs, and and we have so many similar feelings and stories to tell about it. All you know, it's, and you know, yeah, I've never doubted it. What was, uh, what were your injuries when all was said and done? What did they have to operate on? And what was the recovery like? The physical recovery. Yeah, that's interesting actually, because um, yeah, the main. As I say, my left arm being severed, that was the main bit they had to operate on. My whole body just got completely shook up, to be honest with you. I mean, I couldn't move for weeks. I was just laid there on the hospital bed with tubes coming out of me. But uh, but I come out pretty good, really, in all fairness. I mean, the the UK Rail Police did a massive inquiry on it. It took a whole year. And when they finished, they turned around and they said, Damn. you know what, we're finished now, but we're just banging our heads together still because we're saying you should be dead. You should not have survived this. We've done all our figures, you know. So I came out pretty good Incredible. considering. But, um, yeah, but interestingly enough, I healed very fast as well. The, the surgeons were going, you're healing really quick. And I felt that I was still, I felt like I was still attached to that other realm, like I was still getting energy coming through from them there. You know, they were giving me uh, the healing powers to keep me to, help me heal i know firsthand what it's like when you kind of get close or you feel that you got close to death and you come out on the other side with you know life and the chance to kind of continue can you describe what that feeling was like when you were finally out of the hospital not a full you know clean bill of health but you were able to you know kind of go back to somewhat of a normal life and what that that second stage of your life was like because i know what it was like personally after my situation so i'm just curious if you could share with the audience what your experience was like in that second phase i know i don't like saying the nde or whatever but after you had that experience that sure that 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 energy that overcomes you every day sure um well for the first six months i was like completely filled with uh with all this kind of energy and joy from what had just happened. Because right. I'd been to this realm that, that was full of unconditional love, I, I was filled with it. And but um, and I got this, as I say, I got this burning desire to start painting, which is what I did. So I started doing all these huge paintings. I'd never done anything like that before, just to mm. record what I'd seen. So I found, I suddenly found that I'd, I'd got new gifts that I was now able to start paint to paint and, and all this creation was happening. You didn't paint before at all? No, no, I didn't do it at all. I, I was wow. I was doing manual work before, you know, and uh, wow. and it was just, uh, yeah, so so this came through. Uh, um, but I, when I was doing these paintings, and still now when I work, I feel like I'm channeling energy from spirit. It's not just me. You know, it's coming through from somewhere else, and, and, and I'm allowing myself to, to kind of create and put this it. stuff on a canvas. Yeah. Each episode of this podcast is recorded at the MPL right here in Toronto, but we don't say much about this cool studio space. It's essentially three studios in one, a film space, audio post-production suite, and a full-scale recording studio that are all integrated under one roof. You can film a movie, have a photo shoot, record or produce your own song, and so much more. 
Check them out at the-mpl, that's maple, without the vowels, dot com to learn more. They'd love to hear about your next project and see how they can help. When I heard your story, I was taken away completely. I mean, it's mind-blowing as far as what you've described to this point. But what kind of transpired next is, I think, what <clears throat> excuse me, what really, what really gripped me. There's more. There is more, and obviously, this is a music <laughs> podcast, music related. So this next section just kind of seems to tie everything together, yeah. which is why I was like, we really have to talk to you. So I mean, there's the whole idea of the, or not the idea, but your experiences with near death, and then you came back with these incredible gifts. Um, so I just wanted to kind of just mention that as we set up what kind of took place next and what gifts you came back with sure. and how you're going to blow Matt's mind with this next <laughs> little bit here. That's not ready. <laughs> okay, it's well, um, great. This, so yeah, this was the next stage of, of the journey for me that um, I'd, I'd played guitar before, but very basic, you know, I was thrashing out three chords, you know, like, you know, in punk sort of pop bands or whatever, yeah. like, like many of us. Um, but what was to come next was that I was to start writing music. I was, I was having spiritual healing and I was going for spiritual healing that I discovered and which was really great. And, uh, a lot of those healers, um, they would give me their clairvoyance, some of them, and they would give me messages afterwards and, and, and they kept saying, why am I seeing Wagner or violin placed across your chest and things like that? And then, then one of them turned around and said, they're telling me that you're going to write a piece of music about your experience. And when I say they, she talk, they're, she's talking about her, her guides that give me the energy to be healed. Right. So I, wow. I went away and tried to write what I thought was going to be a three-minute pop song about it, but it wasn't happening. <laughs> and I was doing it on – I couldn't play guitar anymore because my left arm was bashed up. But I got this old synthesizer yeah. out of the loft, and I started – and these, then suddenly these, this chord progression came through to me. And uh, it came again, it came through from somewhere else. And I, thought, and I just recorded it. All I got was an old cassette recorder. And I just recorded it onto that. And I thought, this sounds great. And I started developing in it. I thought, this sounds like it should be performed by an orchestra. So I got this same kind of feeling of ambition, just like the paintings. And I thought, why not? Why not? Why? And so I'd, I'd made friends with a with a cello player, and uh, she used to come up and see me when I was doing my paintings, and we used to meet for coffee. And one day she said, "Oh, what you've been up to?" And I said, oh, "I'm I've just been working on this new piece of music." And I said, "But it feels like it should be performed by an orchestra." And she said, "Well, maybe we could do it." And I was going, "Really?" So I thought, "I'm going to hold you to that." So <laughs> I just developed it up, and. Um, I can't read or write a single note of notation still, you know, to this day, but I started hearing all these Incredible. different sounds. Like, like I'd hear like flutes and horns coming through. Then I discover that a horn is a French horn and all these different instruments. And I, and I started putting it together and I, and my brother, um, he was down in London he, and he said to me, look, I've got this p bit of software kit that I, you can attach to your, to your laptop. And, uh, when you play on your keyboard, it will transpose it in, uh, through MIDI, as it's called, and then and then that will then you can get the notation to print out. So, which is what I did. So, I printed out all the parts and uh, met for a coffee with the orchestra, and they said, "Yeah, it looks great. We'll do it." So, they offered to uh, perform it, and uh, so I wrote my first. I'd only written the first movement at that point when they agreed to do it. So, I had two more movements to write. So, I ended up writing a whole symphony, and wow. uh, and it was yeah. <laughs> 
So, <laughs> and that's just the way you say it. <laughs> you just made it sound so simple, like it's something that's supposed to happen. Everyone else can do. How how do you have? How do you go from having melodies? We might even call them random melodies in your head to figuring out how to get them out of your head to then putting them together, arranged as a full score for an orchestra. That seems like a lot more than just uh, you know entering something into a keyboard and then letting it spit out. That seems pretty involved on your side. Was there a lot of figuring out to do? Or Yeah, I, I tried very hard not to, to figure it out. I tried hard not to intellectualize it because I think if I'd done that, I would have got scared and probably it yeah. wouldn't have happened. Wow. The ideas were flowing through and they were just coming and, and like I say, I'd, I'd hear sounds and I kind of think to myself, that's like... Um, that sounds like, a, as I say, a horn, so there's a French horn, and that's how I learned to use a French horn. And then I realized that the more sounds that I used, the, the, the richer the textures would be. You know, Again, it was like doing a painting. They were like colors that were starting to evolve. But do you know what? When I say I didn't intellectualize it, I, I went this far that a lot of the time when I was actually working on it, I used to have the TV on in the background, really low, the volume down, because it made me not take it too seriously. You know, It made me just think, if something comes while I'm half watching this movie, then uh, it'll come, and that's how it happens. And um, but I was very much helped. I, I realised that I was channeling ideas through from another source, and uh, and when that happens, I just kind of go with it, and I just keep keep going. And I, in all fairness, when I when that happens, I just kind of sit back and I go, "Thank you so much," you know, because I know that I'm being helped to to do this, you know. Um, I mean, and I've gone from there to, I've, I mean, uh, the biggest task, I think, was when I met the orchestra at the very first rehearsal. I turned up and I walked in and um, they were all rehearsing another piece. And I, I thought, oh, crikey, I, I thought, it, it was a bit overwhelming, to be honest with you, because, you know, I'd come from a working class background and orchestras are mainly sort of highly educated middle class, you know, and, and they know their stuff. And then right. the... The uh, the guy turned around who was conducting and he said, "Oh, the the the, the uh, composer's here." I was going, "What? You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a composer, you know." And he said, "David, would you just come and say a few words about your piece?" And I I said, "No, no, no, it's fine. You guys just go." And he said, "No, come on." So I stood up and I started talking about it. And you know, I was I was worried because. There was once or twice, you know, that one of them would turn around and say, uh, David, um, you've got an F-sharp major written here, and shouldn't that be a, 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 C, a C flat or whatever, you know? Or I was just going, um, and I was going, can you just sing the melody for me? And then she would sing it, and I'd say, no, 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 it's supposed to go, da, no, 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 you know, and I, so I, knew, I got it all in there. So that's where, it, but do you know what? That's where music comes from, doesn't it? So exactly, that was fine. Yeah. That's but, true, right? <laughs> but um, once they started playing, oh man! I just I stood back and I was I was apprehensive, of course, because I thought, is this going to work? And those three opening chords I had written on that cheap, cheap little synthesizer that afternoon, suddenly it was an orchestra playing it, and it was like it was like having the the best stereo system ever. You know, it was like three dimensional sound, wow. and I went, wow! Yeah. I've pulled it off. It's worked. So so once I got past that point i my confidence gained and so i kept kept going and i kept creating you know and i got it all finished so um yeah and is it out 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. It was. Where can we hear? It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you can actually. You can if you go to my website, you can you can stream this very first symphony that I did because I've done many others since. But the very first one's called the Divine Line. It's all about my NDE, and you can stream that for free if you go. To my website is uh, shineonthestory.com. So if people want to just go on there, just they can listen to it there. So so please do. Yeah, but um, do. yeah, How it many was performed have you written in total now. Oh, well, I've. I've I've done quite a few. I'm actually the, that's going to be the next stage. I'm going to put um, uh, an album out now, like a, a CD with a compilation of different pieces that I've written. They've not all been Incredible. symphonies. There's a bit. There's been. There's been. Uh, there have been quite a few symphonies. But I, I was I was asked by uh, a, a clarinet choir to to write a piece for them. I'd never heard of the, that one of those before, and so that was new <laughs> to me. But I, but it worked. You know, I walked into this room and there was like ten guys, and they got clarinets you wouldn't believe the size of them unless you've seen them but you know like a bass clarinet it's about six, you know it's about two meters in length it's like when you play it it sounds like an ocean liner pulling into the t- to the bay you know it's kind of like wow so <laughs> yeah. i wrote a piece for them and that came and that happened you know i mean i use you know simulated sounds when i'm doing it now you know i've got like synthesizers and i'll so i think okay i'll find a clarinet sound on there so i, I, I that's but that's all i've got I, again you know, I'm not, I'm not using music, but it works. So, um, yeah. So that's, that's the next stage is to, is to put out a compilation. So, cause there's quite a variation of my work as well. I've done other bits where, where it's very chilled music and it's just, you know, I've used elect- electronic sounds as well, like synthesizers mixed in with, with cellos and strings and, you know, just trying to combine different textures. And you're still staying away from, uh, as you said, intellectualizing it. You're just doing it by feel. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Because to me, you know, that's that's Incredible. what music is, you know. You know, it's just, that's what I've always grown up on, you know. It's like when I was listening to music before, when I look back on all the stuff that, that I've always liked, it's always been about the feel, it's always been about the, the groove or, or, it's a, or, or, you know, the stuff that really hits your heart, you know, like sort of, you know, like <laughs> rather than stuff that's just kind of like just goes over your head. So, so for yeah, sure. so, so for me, mu- music's just got to, it's got to move you, hasn't it? So, so um, that's that's what what I try to get out of it. Incredible. And do you do you work with uh, something like a ghostwriter? Like, do you have somebody that you you tend to work with when it comes to putting it down on paper, or have you figured out how to do that? On your I've, own? I've learned quite a bit now how to do it. Yeah, um, because. Um, the the package that my brother gave to me, it, he we then learned you could get an advanced stage. You know, I, I use this uh, thing called f- uh, Finale Print Music, and so. But I've learned, right. yeah. So I've learned, I've learned things like how to sustain a note or what have you, or make it, you know, and, and different things. But my brother, um, he's he's classically trained, so he's the one that yeah I go to. But I, I literally do it. I try to leave him out of the equation right until the very end. You know, because otherwise it gets complicated then. Because he might turn around and say, "Well, actually, oh, I don't think that you know trombones would be playing that part. I think you find that you know cellos would." I was going, "No, no, 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 just mm-hmm. do it. Let's let's try it." You know, and it's great because I see different documentaries now. I watch documentaries on different people and different you know music programs, and and that's where people try and you know they break the rules. They'll say kind of like you know. I'm going to yeah, get a, a you know, whatever, you know, just, you know, you've got, you've got to break the rules sometimes with music. You can't just go along with, with what's there, but yeah, 
But going back to what you're saying, my brother, he's the final one. He's the one who'll just who'll get it so that it's 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 completely acceptable for every single person in the orchestra to be able to understand what's going on. You know, so he knows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The DNA Project is your one-stop shop for all of your live entertainment needs. Anything from a corporate gala, large or small weddings, recording sessions, or just a guitar serenade for a loved one, they got you covered. They'll make the process so easy from start to finish. They really will take away the stress of planning any kind of live music event. Check them out before your next event online at thednaproject.ca. What year was the first uh, concert of one of your original symphonies? Do you remember how long ago it was? Yeah, yeah, it was it was 2008 uh, the first one came out, yeah. And, and what uh, was that feeling was... like when you were finally able to, you know, hear that concert and be part of the audience and watch them actually receive your work? It's... That must have been overwhelming. Yeah. It was it was it was interesting actually because like I said before, you know, I'd never been successful playing guitar, but you know, yeah. I'd, it would always been like playing to an audience of two men and a dog or whatever. You know, so which is <laughs> is quite nerve wracking. You know what I mean? Because you just mm-hmm. stood there and you're just playing your guitar and you're thinking, "How am I going down? How are they going to like this song? And how are they going to applaud at the end of this one?" You know. Whereas when you're actually sat in the audience listening to leaving it to the orchestra and leaving it in the hands of the conductor to sort of take it through it's great right. obviously i was kind of slightly apprehensive and nervous because it's my it's my baby you know but yeah i yeah. really enjoyed it yeah. i absolutely enjoyed it i mean the concert sold out this is incredible because i'd um basically they said to me the guys in the orchestra said oh do you mind just saying a few words to the local press just because you've written a piece and i said sure so i did speak to the local press and they said hey hang on a sec aren't you the guy who went under the train and i said yeah they said <laughs> wow this is a brilliant story it's going on the front page you know so from then you know the phone kept ringing and, and then the bbc wanted to come and interview me and so they came down to the rehearsal and they filmed me wow. which is really interesting because this is the orchestras i mean uh, they're, they're a different breed in terms of musicians. It's like when I emailed them to ask if that was okay, I thought they would be going, yeah, yeah, cool, you know, but they were kind of going, well, you know, it might interrupt the, the, the um, you know, our rehearsal time and stuff like that. They were kind of like, a few of them were reluctant, yeah. which is lovely. I love the fact that they didn't care, you know, but the fact that they did come down the BBC, then it went on the TV and then it sold out two weeks in advance. So the atmosphere was electric that night. Incredible. It was just incredible. Yeah. I can imagine. That sounds that sounds incredible. Yeah. Do you believe in destiny? Yeah. It must have been. Yeah, I do actually. Yeah, I I I, I do now. I, I believe that that um, I believe that that our um, our lives uh, are kind of like almost like a highway that are set out in front of us, and right. we don't always follow that route. I certainly didn't. You know, I was I was constantly mm. being tempted by shortcuts. I go, oh, I'm going to take that road. That's going to that's going to lead me to happiness and success. And I ended up yeah. going down that road, and it wasn't the road for me. Then I ended up back on the highway again. So I kind of see it like that. And and mm. uh, um, so now I kind of like realize that the highway that I'm on is the one that's meant to be for me. It's you know, it's kind of like it's. It's my soul path. That's why uh, that's probably the best way to call it, rather than the highway. It's my soul path, and I think that we've all got our own soul paths. I totally agree, and I, I think that analogy is incredible because uh, I definitely can see parallels in getting off of the highway and whatever powers that be forcing me back onto that soul path. You know, so I can definitely, definitely relate. That's incredible. Yeah. How how did you overcome some of the feelings and thoughts? I'm sure would have been 
completely overwhelming, um, especially dealing with the orchestra. You mentioned them being a different breed altogether, knowing that you weren't, you know, quote unquote, one of them. Um, you didn't probably, you probably weren't able to speak in musical terms that, in a way that they would understand. How did you convince yourself or tell yourself to keep on going with these ideas that you had and making sure that you could see them through to the end? Um, I never lost faith um, uh, just because I believed that this was all meant to unfold. It was all meant to happen, that, that the music was meant to get out there. And so I didn't really fear it. Yeah, of course, there were, you know, I'm only human. There were times, you know, I turn up to rehearsals every every day and I think, oh, is this the one where they're going to really catch me out and say, you know, he doesn't even know what he's talking about, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, so many, of course, that's there. But generally speaking, I had faith and I just knew that if something didn't sound right at the rehearsal, that I would go home and figure it out and then I'd go back and fix it and it would work. And... Um, it's so yeah, which is interesting because that's a complete contrast in, to how I was before. I never had any self uh, sort of uh, confidence, and so oh, I didn't believe in myself. So I probably would have stepped back from from it very easily, you know. Before I probably wouldn't have even taken that ch- the chance that I did by going to an orchestra. But it was, you know, yeah. What uh, what comes to you? What are you more? working on now? Okay, sorry. Yeah, I guess that's a good question. Sorry, there's a I delay. That, we sometimes talk over each other. We don't mean to. <laughs> Sorry, what was what were you saying? Which one? Which one? What are you working on? What are you now? working on now? Question. Uh, right, yeah, I'm writing on a new symphony actually. Yeah, um, which is called "I Wasn't Expecting This." So, so yeah, so that's mm-hmm. that's coming along fine. I mean, I don't know how that's going to happen about getting it performed because you know orchestras are struggling to get together. Um, I mean, professional orchestras are doing that over here now with social distancing. But yeah. you know, in terms of an, am- an amateur orchestra, it's going to be tough. But what I'm figuring out is I'm yeah. going to—I want this to be on this new al- album I'm putting together. Um, so I'm going to get some studio time, and I, I will get like you know the different players to come in individually and then lay down their parts and take it like that. So it would be a different way of going about it. In terms, all the all the rest yeah. have been performed as as a, as a whole, you know, the whole orchestra uh, together. But now right. I just have to break it down. So yeah, so that's that's the next stage. That's incredible. You mentioned um, in the past struggling with self confidence and other internal issues. Um, you've of course come back and come full circle from that feeling it looks like and sounds like can you share with our listeners who may not fully believe in themselves or lack confidence any insight on how to overcome or you know just some encouraging words for them yeah sure um what i'd say is to actually not be afraid to stop and uh step away from whatever environment you're in that's making life tough for you and to actually, you know, try and ground yourself and and ask ask yourself the question: What is it I really want? What is the pathway that's meant for me? You know, am I actually hanging out with the right crowd here? Am I actually the door that, I, that I'm trying to bang on? They're not letting me in. Is that the right door for me? You know, and just try and be authentic to yourself. Basically, is what I'm saying. And once you are authentic to yourself, then those the, the right doors will slowly open in front of you, um, like they did for me. You know, with the music and the art, you know, I didn't, I wasn't pushing at those doors. They opened because they they were meant to be where I was supposed to be going. So, and once you do that, you know, just be patient as well. You know, I was, I lacked patience before because I was trying to fix everything. Just be patient and and allow allow it to come to you, and it will. 
for all of us, I think. Which one um, do you feel comes to you more, art as in, in the form of painting or in symphonies? They both very much hand in hand, to be honest with you. And and it's whatever is feeling strong, the urge. Like, for example, at the moment, it feels stronger for me to be focusing on the music at this stage. And then I'll know that I'll suddenly think, oh, no, I've got to paint, I've got to do a painting. And, uh, you know, it just comes. I don't really plan it out. No, I, I totally understand what you're saying. I heard a great quote from someone that said, um, a man lives, every man lives two lives, and their second one begins when they only realize they have one. And I think that someone like you has had such an incredible experience. Is there something you could maybe, um, like, remember? How do I phrase this? Sorry. I'm trying to think of a way to say this, but. If um, if you had to do it all over again, do you know what I mean? Like, do you when you wake up in the morning, is there like a no regrets type of attitude that you have, where you're willing and fearless now, and willing to try things that you'd never been willing to try before? And what was that experience like, where you now have this like, uh, maybe you don't have it, but I just feel that some people that I've shared my experience with this fearlessness that comes about in your everyday life where you might have been apprehensive about, say, trying a food or doing something, that that almost has been completely removed. Did you experience that? And what was that like when you first started to realize that you're no longer going to let fear or time get wasted anymore? Um, yeah, in, in all fairness, it, I did hit rock bottom six months later after that okay. actual accident in the NDE, and I and I had some therapy, which is understandable because I think you know the For mind sure. and the body can't cope with going under a train. It was like yeah, so I suffered with with, with post traumatic stress disorder, and um, so so the therapist was great, and so I was helped a lot by therapy, but also okay. spiritual healing. But um, basically, what I'd realised what was going on there was that I was. I was having to come to terms with my past and I was having to deal with the past and, and the person I was before and the person mm -hmm. I was now. Um, and what I'd say is, is what I've learned from that is to sort of like, is something I, I whenever things go wrong now, I just tell myself, look, you know, stop, don't fear the future because you don't know what the we don't know what the future holds. None of us exactly. ever. Not, yep. but you know what I mean. And, and it's just like so. Stop worrying about it because the anticipation is worse than the actual what what comes to us usually. And yep. forget about that's the true. past as well. That's the, that's a biggie. You know, the past was always hanging on my shoulders like a lead weight. You know, whereas now I just forget about it. I just think, oh, you know, it's it's whatever mistakes I made before. You know, you know, before the accident, I was drinking heavily. I was, you know, and. And that wasn't great, you know. And but right. it happened, and that was me then. And and I, you know, I'm not going to feel bad about it because I wasn't really doing anybody any harm other than myself. So um, yeah, so it's kind of that's the big one is just forget about the past because that doesn't exist. It really doesn't, and and the future doesn't exist. Just the here and now, uh, that where we are. Just look around you and think. Just examine where you are and think it's actually not that bad where I am at at this moment in time. So. That's incredible. I say incredible way too much, by the way. No, that's no, that all sounds great. <laughs> I really, really appreciate it. I have the website oh, here. 
shineonthestory.com and I'm gonna I'm gonna browse through all this right after we're done here. Fantastic. There's so much stuff here. The music, the painting, interviews, video diary. Okay. Yeah. That's my afternoon now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm gonna start uh, developing. We that told you, Matt. Yeah, that's a that's a new one for we me. We told you you were you were definitely in for something special, um, hearing David's story and man, it's more than inspiring. I mean, taking a word from Dariki, it's incredible. It's <laughs> it's, it's phenomenal. Um, I read the book. It was more than I had bargained for. Um, it's just the the way that you expressed your life and were open with the events of your life and how this um, experience that you went through uh, really highlighted things in you that you felt that you needed to change and then so how you changing and you evolving into you know who you are now really impacted people around you um there are some really good accounts from your family and seems like everybody closest to you you've completely changed i mean you i don't know how much of the book was kind of you know um embellished but I read that you even inspired your sister to get into painting. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. So she's been doing. She's in fact she's been really prolific since uh, the whole pandemic wow. with lockdown. She she got painting again. Yeah, you know, she got she's bought herself a new easel and she's doing incredible work. Uh, really, you know, wow. um, you know. Awesome work. That's that's my new words because because after doing awesome. US interviews, you know, it's kind of like <laughs> I love it. Awesome. So yeah. So so yeah. awesome. <laughs> so We're yeah. So, take brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> we'll switch brilliant for us. A fair trade. A fair trade. <laughs> yeah. 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 So like like I was saying, yeah, it's just incredibly inspirational you. what you've done. I hope that we could play our small part by just having you join us for today just to share your story, the inspiration behind it, the incredible, brilliant, awesome work that you're doing um, and I'm sure we'll continue to do. Uh, you've gained one new supporter and follower in Matt and I'm sure there'll be many more to come as we play our small role in just being able to um, pass this on. We thank you so much. Oh, I don't know if you guys have any other quick questions for David before we let him run. No, I think uh, just sharing this story. Do you record anything? That's a yes. <laughs> <laughs> With the delay. Yes. Yeah, do you, do you record anything yourself or you, you, you do the composing and then you leave the recording no, th to the next stage? It's... Uh, yeah, I record as, yeah afterwards. Yeah, once everything's, um, uh, I sort of use as I say, I use, I still use like a synthesizer to write everything, and then record afterwards and get the guys to come in and record. Yeah, incredible. Those were my questions. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, that's cool. So everything's, as I say, that's the next stage. I want to get everything out that next year. I want to, I want to get it all out there. So, so I try and do as much as as I can. You know, um, you know using logic and stuff like that i use logic now which is great i don't know what well we look forward to it definitely. brilliant well yeah i'll let you know when it, when it all comes together well why don't you um, shout out all of your socials and your website one more time so we can uh track your story and kind of pay attention to when this music drops sure um so the main uh, hub to go to is my website which is shineonthestory.com and uh 
you'll find all the paintings on there. And as I say, you can, for now, you can stream that first symphony on there for free. And you can see my paintings on there. You can see my video diaries that you pointed out very kindly. <laughs> and, uh, and then... Um, uh, you know, just, uh, all my links as well to my to my Instagram page. If you want to follow me on Instagram or Facebook, you know, please do, and you'll you'll find the links on there and YouTube as well. So there's quite a few people starting to subscribe to my YouTube channel. So that's brilliant. So you know, if you want to come and Incredible. follow on any of those things, and you'll see, I'm, I you know, I'm really kind of I I love social media. Basically, the fact that it's we can get stuff out of there, especially uh, at these past six months, it's been brilliant. You know, just to be able to get stuff and so i try to keep that rolling so you know, do follow me on there if you want to see what's developing you know i do video diaries on on how the music's coming on just basically things like that you know and it's very much kind of like you know fly on the wall stuff where i just yeah. say right this is this is how i write you'll see how i put it all together you know so yeah i'm gonna go watch that right now thanks Fantastic. again david yeah, we really really story. appreciate it man well thank you it's been great chatting with you all three of you thanks a lot thank you thank you we're glad you survived that and and told us yeah very very glad pleasure As a podcaster, you know that great content is only half the battle. The other half is finding the right hosting platform to reach your audience. That's where Captivate comes in. With unlimited podcasts, advanced analytics, and personalized support, Captivate has everything you need to grow your audience and monetize your show. Join the thousands of successful podcasters just like us who trust Captivate for their hosting needs. Visit dnaairwaves.com Captivate today to start your free trial.